Uh, my name is Ben Carruthers. I'm the director of student and family ministries here. This is my uh, sweat rag, and so the front zones here is a splash zone, so you might get baptized twice today. Hope not. Glad to be here. Glad to be worshiping with you. And for those of you online, thanks for tuning in. We are in our fourth and final week of going through and trying to understand the book Song of Songs. And I can very clearly remember when Ryan texts Sonia and I back in early November, late October, with this idea of, hey, after Christmas, let's do a, a series on the Song of Songs. And there was a little pause. There was no text right away back. And finally, Sonia was like, yeah, that sounds good, right? Like, this is great. And then we met each other the next week in the offices. And he's like, yeah, yeah I'm really pumped about this. I'm really excited. And I can remember like locking eyes with Sonia and our eyes got really big. And we're like, yeah, it should be interesting. And then we got the preaching calendar and Sonia's not on it. And her attitude was like, this is going to be great. We should really do this. <laughs> Thank you, Sonia. Uh, yeah, this is a tough book. This is a tough book. I walked into Pastor Ryan a couple, uh, office a couple weeks ago and said, Ryan, man, this is a book about poetry. And it's not just about poetry, but it's about erotic poetry, right? Something I didn't know existed or I'd get in trouble if I looked at it, right? Like, I didn't know this was something that's real. And this is going to shock you. You're going to be blown away by this. I'm not a poetry kind of guy. <laughs> right? I, remember, I memorized Shakespeare, Romeo and Juliet in high school, only because I thought girls would dig it, right? Like, that's... And they didn't. So, all right, it didn't pan out for me, right? But I, I don't know poetry. I don't get poetry. I, if it doesn't start with roses or red, it's not poetry. If it doesn't rhyme, it's not poetry. So I asked him, I said, what is a guy like me who doesn't understand poetry, who really doesn't understand or like poetry, what am I supposed to do? And he looked at me and said, yeah, what are you going to do? <laughs> I was like, that's the question, man. And so I left and I'm just like, what do I do? I just, I read it. I went and I read Song of Songs. And I went and read it again, and I read it again, and I read it again, and I can proudly say and stand up here that I do not, I do, I do not blush anymore when I read the Song of Songs. I've read it so many times. And it's tough. But the reality is, too, is, man, reading Scripture is tough. Whether it's poetry or an Old Testament book or the Gospels, it's tough. And so we do our best to understand what's going on here, what's the context of it. And this passage of Scripture spoke to me. When I read through it, and there's a particular reason why, and I'm going to share that with you, with you at the very end, but this piece of scripture really spoke to me, and that's what I want to share with you this morning. This passage from Song of Songs, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. And so, being that we're going to look at a book of poetry, and the guy giving the message doesn't like poetry, doesn't know a lot about poetry, I think we should pray. So, <laughs> will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we give you thanks and praise for this book, this confusing book. One that I think is often overlooked when we talk about your word. But Lord, that's what this is. This is your word. Lord, we believe that the Bible is your word given to us to better understand and know you and know your heart. Which means in this book where the name of God and Yahweh isn't even in it, we can better understand you and have a stronger relationship with you. And so Lord, that's our prayer this morning. As we dive into these few passages that you lead us and guide us into stronger relationships here and a stronger relationship with you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So Song of Songs chapter 3, this, you heard it read to you, but what's happening is this woman wakes up and she realizes that her lover is gone. There's no one in the bed with her and she panics and has this fear and we're going to talk about that. 
And she gets up in the middle of the night and goes into the streets searching for her love. And she can't find him anywhere. She asks the guards. They can't find him. And all of a sudden, he appears. And at that moment, she grabs him tight, does not let him go, and brings him back home. It's a very short poem. It's a very short passage of scripture. But I think there's a lot there. And there's a lot of different ways to interpret it. And it has been interpreted differently over the years. The Christian mystic from the 1600s, St. John of the Cross, this man right here, rock and haircut, he interprets this as the darkness of the soul. The darkness of the soul, or being separated from God and pain and the anguish that comes from that separation and the journey back. The separation of the soul, I love that. But more modern interpretations, really, it's a, think it's a poem, right? It's a poem. It's poetry, and it's describing a dream that this woman is having. And in her dream, she awakens to find her lover gone. And in her dream, she goes out. And it's this amazing story of love and this connection that we can have with one another. And this desire for us as humans to love and to be loved. I love that, I love that version, too. So this morning, I think both of these are reverent and clear in this passage. And so we're going to talk a little bit about our relationships here. And we're going to talk a little bit about strengthening our relationship with God. Because I think that's what's in this passage of scripture. I think it's both. And so verse 1 talks about loss. It's up on the screen here. Song of Songs 3 verse 1 says this, Upon my bed at night I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. She awakens to find her lover gone and immediately has this moment of fear and panic set in. Now, we can understand what this is like when we're dealing with loss, right? On maybe a minor scale, how many times have we woken up and we're ready to leave, we can't find our keys, we can't find our wallet, we can't find our cell phone, stuff like this. Anyone have an idea what this device is right here? That one. This is an old school air tag system. And this was one of the very first gifts that my wife, at the time fiance, gave me for Christmas. I remember opening it up and I was like, is this some kind of new video game that I'm completely unaware of? I have no idea what this is. And she explained to me, she's like, no, you put these little dots on your keys and your wallet and your cell phone. And then you have this remote control and you hit the button and it beeps so you can find things. I was like, are you subtly telling me that I lose things all the time? Is this what this is? This is how we're starting a relationship? That's exactly what she was doing. However, this did not help me because I lost the remote within the first week. And so, (laughs) shocking, right? But we have these moments where, man, where's my keys? Where's my cell phone? Where's this? Where's that? And it brings this quick jolt of panic into our lives. Like, what am I going to do? I don't have my keys. What am I going to do? I'm leaving the house. I don't have my cell phone. The satellites won't know where I'm at. This is horrible. How are we going to do this? We have this moment of panic, and we understand that. But what she's experiencing is so much deeper than this. It's not just a quick moment of panic, or you can't find this, or you can't find this. She has woken up, and the person who holds her heart, who have a deep relationship, a meaningful, mutual relationship with, is gone and missing. You see, love and sorrow kind of go hand in hand. You almost can't have one without the other. Some theologians over the years have said this about love and the fear of losing it. G. Campbell Morgan says this, love creates a perpetual dread lest the loved one should be lost. Or how about this one? By Craig Glickman, love not only brings a greater experience of joy, but a deeper capacity for pain as well. 
A more modern from the 90s theologian put it this way, Adam Sandler from the movie The Wedding Singer, love stinks. <laughs> right? Love, man, we, we give our heart away knowing that some way, somewhere possibly, we're going to lose it. But it's worth it. Because it's this deep, meaningful connection with someone. We understand this idea of loss. But this is more than losing these things. It's this deep connection, being lost. Because love is powerful. Week one, uh, Pastor Ryan talked about uh, uh, love being like fire. Song of Songs 8, verses 6 through 7. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench, rivers cannot wash it away. If one were to give all the wealth of his house for love, it would be utterly scorned. This is the type of power that love has over our life. And this is the fear that she feels waking up over this loss. And she is so moved, the next passage we see is that she immediately gets up and goes. But I want to pause here for a second. Because I think in our world today, this is, the, this is what we assume that we have to do. When we're dealing with loss and when we're dealing with hurt and pain and grief, I think the world tells us, man, just, all right, do your thing. Pull up your bootstraps and kind of keep going. Keep going on with life. And that's not what God tells us. Because sometimes in this loss, and this is any kind of loss, it can be a loss of a loved one, a loss of a relationship, a loss of a job. We deal with many different ways of loss. And God says, listen, take a moment. Take a moment and be at peace. Listen to these Bible verses. Psalm 147 verse 3 says this. He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. How about this one? When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him, he asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. This is the passage where we're talking about Lazarus and Mary and all of the friends finding out that Lazarus was dead and going to Jesus and they're incredibly sad. They have a great loss in their life. And we get the shortest verse in scripture, Jesus wept. And we often view it as, man, this was, Lazarus was Jesus' friend, right? He's weeping because he's losing his friend. But that's not what scripture tells us. He says that when he saw people weeping and wailing when he sees the loss that Mary is dealing with and the friends of Lazarus and the friends of and the family of Lazarus that they're dealing with the loss that's what brings Jesus to tears you see we have a God who knows what it's like to deal with loss we also have a God who says be in me during those times listen to this verse from Matthew Matthew eleven twenty eight through 29. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Hear Jesus say this to you today. If you are dealing with any kind of loss and feel, you feel like you have to just keep moving on and go to the next thing and go out and searching for whatever is next, he says, just stop. Rest. Find peace in me. Some of us need to hear that it's okay to rest and to mourn and grief for days, weeks. Some of us, man, there are losses so deep that it's a lifetime. But it's a lifetime of this. 
It's a lifetime of being in the arms of God and finding rest and peace there. Uh, my wife and I, we were married uh, nine years ago, almost this June. Uh, and I remember our very first year of marriage, uh, it was October. Uh, and a certain day in October, being married for only four months, I was coming home from work and I was just probably in the darkest place I've ever been in my whole life. And uh, into marriage, I was blessed with uh, being the stepdad to two amazing kids. And I had known them prior to getting married, but really this was our first four years of being a family, or four months of being a family. And today I stand before you being a guy who loves hugging his children, right? Like I, my, I came from a family where we didn't really hug, like family reunions, a bunch of high fives, maybe how you doing kind of thing, right? Like we were not touchy-feely kind of people. Now I'll hug a stranger on the street. Let's go, right? Like being a dad changes you. But I'm not a huggy, touchy kind of feeling guy. And I came home just feeling rotten, completely rotten about myself. And I had lost something, and what I had lost was all hope. Because of some stupid things that I had made, some decisions that I had made that put my family at risk and pretty dark place in my life. And I came home, and I had a reclining chair that I always sat in, and I sat in my chair. My wife could tell me that, or could tell that something was wrong. And out of nowhere, my stepson, who was about five or six years old at this time, who we've been a family for just four months, and I probably hugged him for a picture at the wedding, came over, got in the chair, and laid on my chest and hugged me. This is not normal behavior. And I just sat there. And it's everything that I needed in that moment. Because it's okay to sit and deal with loss and grief and be sad because you rest with God. There's no other explanation than God being in that moment and using my son to do that. None. But if we don't sit and mourn that loss before we move on to the other piece, before we start searching for what's next, we miss this amazing opportunity by God. So loss. Take time to grieve and to mourn. And then when you're ready, start that move. And that's what she does. She, she doesn't wait, right? She wakes up and she has this fear and this panic. And her immediate response is to get up, get out of bed and go and search, right? I know this is a poem, this is poetry. But even in this, this has some cultural implications. It's the middle of the night. She's a woman, and she goes to the street searching for her love. It says this, <clears throat> I will rise now and go about the city in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him who my soul loves, which is also how she refers to him throughout this poem. I sought him, but found him not. The sentinels found me as they went about the city. Have you seen him who my soul loves? She gets up in the middle of the night to go and search for her love. This is dangerous. This is risky. She is doing something completely out of the norm, out of the cultural okayness to go and find. She's compelled to leave and go and find her love. We understand this. We will do, we will stop at nothing to find those who we love, right? My son Arlo, he is seven years old now, but when he was three, my two older kids and Arlo, we were at Walmart. And Walmart to a three-year-old man is the world, right? It's just ginormous. It's filled with wonder. And he's in the cart, you know, corral. 
And he's like, can I get out and walk? And I'm like, well, yes, but you know, stay with your big brother and sister and all that kind of stuff. So I set him out and I start looking at clothes in the clothes rack and only a minute goes by and I look up and I say, where's Arlo? And the kids are like, we don't know. And I said, well, it's obviously your responsibility. It's not mine. You're so, you know. And I'm like, where is he? And so, you know, you've seen this before in stores where like parents kind of like, where's my kids? And they're like, Arlo. Like they're whispering because they don't want to draw attention. So I'm like, Arlo, you know, Arlo. Well, no response. So it's like, Arlo, Arlo. And now I'm starting to freak out. I'm like throwing people. I'm like, Arlo, where are you? I used to work at Walmart, so I know how the phone system works. So I picked up the phone. I was about to hit the intercom and be like, Arlo, come to your father, right? He's lost in this wonderland of Walmart. And the moment I had the phone, out pops three-year-old Arlo from a clothes rack. And he said, I won! (laughs) What are you talking about? We were playing hide-and-go-seek. No, we weren't. (laughs) You were playing hide. You have to have two people. Without the other person, it's just hide. I was so angry, but I was so relieved that he was there. I just picked him in the cart and I'm like, you're in big trouble, but I love you so much, you know? We will do anything, go to the ends of the earth for people who are lost that we love and to search and find them. We will do this. We know what this is like. This is what God does for us every single moment of our life. He searches out the lost and brings them back. We know this feeling and we do it for little things. We will go to extremes for little things in our life. Look at this picture here. That is a picture of the new iPhone being released. Those people have been there for hours, if not days. What did they risk? What did they give up to get an iPhone two weeks earlier than anyone else? Now, I know one of you guys are like, man, I hope you can't see me in that picture right there. (laughs) What did they give up? For an iPhone. How about this picture? Let me explain. This is Jean-Claude Van Damme. Anyone recognize him? All right, more in the first term. All right, this is great. I will tell you, if we gave you all a quarter for every time that Pastor Ryan mentioned Chipotle, I mentioned Jean-Claude Van Damme, or Sonia mentions her granddaughter, you would all be very wealthy, right? So Jean-Claude Van Damme, he's like my idol, man. When I was in high school, I remember, well, even middle school, I saw Bloodsport when I was in middle school with my dad. I'm like, this guy's awesome. And I just watched all of his movies all the time. Jean-Claude Van Damme, when I was a senior in high school, was coming to Mall of America to promote his new movie, Knock Off, which me and my dad saw, right? Probably the only people, but it was great. And I'm like, I got to go. This is my opportunity to meet him. You could meet him. He's going to have, he's going to sign stuff and all that. And I was so excited. And I went to my mom and I'm like, mom, it's on a Friday. I know it's school, but is it okay if I skip school? And I'm like, she's going to totally let me go. She knows how I love Jean-Claude. She's like, of course you can't. I'm like, what are you talking about? This is Jean, this is a once in a lifetime. She's like, no, you're not going to meet Jean. She can't pronounce his name, which is horrible. But she, I'm like, I have to go. She's like, you're not going. And I'm like, I have to go. So I convinced my buddy, Mike. I said, Mike, skip school with me and let's go see Jean-Claude Van Damme. And he's like, who? And I'm like, shut up, man, Jean-Claude Van Damme. And so I convince him, we lie to our parents, we skip school, and we're at Mall of America at 6.30. It's me, him, and a bunch of silver sneakers, right, ready to get into the Mall of America to start their walking. And I go up to Planet, uh, Planet Hollywood, I'm the first in line for a five-hour wait. And I wait, I've got my VHS, and I've got my movie posters to have them sign, and I wait, and I wait, and it's a little awkward because the line's not growing, it's like me and like two other people. Five hours we wait, and he never shows. Yeah, so Jean-Claude, if you're watching, 
Elk River, I'll buy you a burrito. Come on, hang out, man. Never showed. But I was willing to get in trouble with my parents, to miss school, to hurt relationships, to go and meet Jean-Claude Van Damme. We do this. We risk a lot for little things. And my question is, and the thing that really hit my heart, was am I willing to risk things for my relationship with God? Or do I treat my relationship with God as a convenient for me relationship? I want to hang out with God when it's convenient for me. I want to spend time with God when it's convenient for me. I was really convicted by that. Because for me, that's, that's kind of what it was for a while. And still is sometimes. How many times, not never at this church, but at other churches we'd go, I'd be like, man, the pastor's going like 15 minutes late. The game's on 10 minutes. We've got to get going. We do that. We treat our relationship with God as a, 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 a relationship of convenience. And it's not just about coming to worship and reading the Bible, being in small groups. All those things are great and fantastic. But he's not asking that of you. Those are things that we can do to grow in love and, and, and knowledge of the Lord. But he's not looking for things that you do. He's just looking to be with you. These things that you love, whether it's 80s action movies or, or baseball or whatever it is, whatever the things that you love, he just wants to be a part of it with you. But we get so caught up in these other things, maybe in other relationships, that a relationship with God becomes a relationship of convenience and not of that urgency of that I will find him and search for him no matter what. What can we do? What can we change to create that passion in our life for our God and our creator? So she, she, she searches. She's willing to risk it all. And she finds him. Here in verse, or chapter 3, verse 4, it says this. This is recovery. Scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. I held him and would not let him go until I brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her that conceived me. I held him and would not let him go. This is the part where I'm like, this is definitely a dream because you know that guy got an earful on the way home. Like, where have you been? Right? But she finds him. After this waking up, this fear and anxiety and worry, she goes, she throws caution to the wind. She goes and searches and risks and she finds him and she's not going to let him go. And they're together. And we have this beautiful cycle of a relationship here at Recovery. Now, sometimes recovery in relationships look different for all of us because sometimes to reach this recovery point, it means maybe having to ask forgiveness for something. It means maybe having to be forgiven for something. It means showing compassion to someone. It means mending that relationship to get it to that point where they're not going to let each other go. I'm going to close with this story about recovery. And I told you there was a reason why I really connected with this. And this is the real reason. Um, I have a reoccurring dream. Guaranteed it happens about once a month, if not more. Now the dream may look different, but the gist of it is every time I dream that my wife leaves me. And it's awful. Awful. Normally in my dreams, I'm the hero, right? I can take on 10, 20 guys, save the day, no problem. Right? That's, what I, that's my normal dreams. But then this one haunts me. 
And she leaves me, and it's different circumstances every time, and it's so real and so potent that I wake up and I'm sick in my stomach. And immediately I go over and I put my arm around her and I pull her tight to remind me that she's still there. And my wife knows that this dream happens quite a bit and no words are spoken. She just grabs my arm and holds on tight. See, I know what this feeling was like, man, to wake up and to feel that that person you love is gone and that desire to recover that and hold on tight. I know what that's like. Maybe you know what that's like. Some of you might be sitting there like, hey, I analyze dream for a living and I can really help you with this and we can really get this dream to stop. And I'd say, no, thank you. And this is why I'd say that. Because as much as the pit in my stomach I get every time I have that dream, it's a reminder. It's a reminder of what I have. It's a reminder of love and the power of it. When you have it with another person who loves you just like that, it's a reminder for that relationship that I never want to let that go. And it's a reminder for me that that's a relationship that this God, this creator, wants with me. Me. Ben of Zimmerman. Right? This creator wants that type of relationship with me. And he wants to pull me in tight and hold onto my arms and never let me go. He desires that. It's a reminder for me to desire him. So Central Lutheran Church, song of songs, erotic poetry, who knew? But maybe today, maybe the point of today is that word reminder. It's a reminder of the relationships you have with the people in the pew with you. And maybe today you hold that hand a little bit extra. Maybe you go hold your kids a little bit tighter. After this, I'm going to see a movie with my dad. And like I said, man, we don't hug. And I'm like, I'm going to hug my dad today. So dad, if you're watching, you better get ready. I'm coming. (laughs) And maybe it's a reminder for you to hold on to God and never let go. Amen.